Did you know that studies have shown affirmations can profoundly influence your psychological well-being, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety? Here at Positive Birth Australia, we have crafted a 20-minute birth affirmations track filled with soulful, carefully curated affirmations to empower, inspire, and guide you to deeply remember the power you hold within. And to my fellow belly birth mothers, we have created a track specifically for you to honor that all birth is a sacred moment of profound significance. For only $5, you can download and immerse yourself in our affirmations track to transform your mindset in the lead up to birth and during labor, serving as a potent reminder of the inherent power and love you possess. Visit us at www.positivebirthaustralia.com or head to the show notes and follow the link provided to start your journey toward a more empowered birth experience. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia, a podcast created to empower and educate mothers along their own pregnancy journey. Each week, I'll be sharing insightful and inspiring birth stories and advice in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Marie. Let's get into today's show. Welcome back everyone. On today's episode, we welcome Emma, a first-time mum whose path to motherhood was filled with unexpected turns, profound self-discovery, and a transformation that forever changed her perception of birth. Emma had a deep-rooted fear that having children might disrupt the harmony of her relationships. A turning point came when she experienced the heartbreaking loss of an accidental pregnancy, propelling her onto a conscious path of conceiving a child. When faced with fertility struggles, Emma went on a relentless pursuit to find a provider who could assist them in unraveling the underlying issues. It would then take five additional attempts before conceiving her son. As an accomplished veterinarian, Emma found solace in the world of medicine and surgery, but as she contemplated the birthing experience ahead of her, she discovered a stark contrast between how animals give birth naturally and the over-medicalized approach prevalent in our current maternal system. This realization sparked a desire for a different kind of birth, one that honored the innate wisdom of her body and allowed her to surrender to the natural process. Today, we hear how Emma's innate trust in birth surfaced when she heard the nurse announce, that's a bum, not a head, and the mental battle she endured during her three weeks of prodromal labor. Enjoy the episode. Emma, welcome to Positive Birth Australia. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. Could you just start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? So I live in Brisbane. Uh, my husband and I moved here a couple of years ago from Sydney and we're originally from New Zealand so if you don't understand any vowels that's why (laughs) and in my family there's me my husband Sean we've been married for 10 years and our little boy Zeke who is exactly eight weeks old and then the final family member so I'm outnumbered by boys is a very delightful cat who just thinks that the baby is his new toy. So that's been very cute. (laughs) And was Zeke a planned conception? He was. So he was an IVF baby. So Mm. it took us a little while to get here. I was never sure if I wanted 
um, children. My lovely husband always did, but was not wanting to push me to something I didn't want to do. And Can I just quickly ask if you're happy to share, of course, was there a particular reason you didn't want children? I think it's probably quite valuable to share. Um, I have worked on this in in some therapy and realised that I actually had quite a deeply rooted fear that children would ruin relationships and ruin marriages because that was the narrative that I grew up hearing. Okay, right. And... I always sort of adamantly said I I couldn't imagine anything more heartbreaking than having a child with the partner that you love and adore and that relationship then suffering because of something that you had done out of love. And it took me a little while to kind of realise that, well, you've got the power to change the narrative in your own life and to do things differently. And Sean, my my lovely husband, as much as he never pushed me, I always knew that he would be much happier in a life that had children in them, even though had we not had a baby, our life would have been fabulous, just a different kind of fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, we actually fell pregnant accidentally just as we were leaving Sydney and unfortunately that pregnancy ended in a miscarriage and it was a bit of a weird type of miscarriage and unfortunately that kind of was a rude awakening into how unsympathetic and often not very empathetic the system is because they just went "Eh, miscarriage Lots of women have miscarriages. They're common, even though it was a bit of a weird one. But it was that realisation that we actually could get pregnant that sort of for both of us went, let's give this a red hot crack. And sort of, yeah, planted that seed. And then that led to a, a reasonable period of time of tests and medical interventions and things eventually we did get a diagnosis which was I'm very very grateful for um, because so many women with unexplained infertility I think that would be much harder Mm. but I had to fight to get testing done which potentially was a sign of things to come in the birth journey you you do have to strongly advocate for yourself and so eventually we we figured out what was going on and um, I had a a little weird chromosome translocation so very harmless but makes it very difficult to have a viable egg so yeah only one in 12 of my eggs approximately has the right number of chromosomes right and is that easy to manage or well the geneticist was over the moon he said this is awesome you Mm. can absolutely have a baby you just need to do it through IVF it's purely a numbers game so yeah little Zeke was our fifth round of IVF which in the scheme of things it's funny how your your memories soften at the time it felt horrific and then I look back and sort of think nope it was it was worth every every little bit of emotional roller coaster to get here Mm. Yeah, so my conception journey was very, very medicalized, which was 
I think also part of the reason why I was so passionate about not letting my birth become medicalized. And so what was your perception of birth at that time? Oh, I was completely conditioned to the Hollywood (laughs) pain, something to be endured or suffered through. I mean, if I'd gotten pregnant. 10 years ago, I would have just been like, oh, cesarean, elective, absolutely, don't want to know about it. Yeah. And um, I guess for a bit of context, I'm a veterinarian, so, and I'm primarily a surgeon. So I kind of come to things quite comfortable with surgery, with a hospital system that makes me feel quite safe. But then by the other side of the coin, when animals give birth, they don't hold fear. They don't have vaginal exams. Yeah. <laughs> um, they just get on with it and they they generally go into labour at night. They find a quiet, safe, dark place. They They let the oxytocin flow. And the vast majority of the time, birth just works. Yeah, yeah, I sort of had those two, I guess, conflicting approaches. But also, as I have gone through some challenges with conception, it also gave me an appreciation for the female body, for our cycles, for supporting my body to kind of do what it's meant to do and then of course the final piece of the puzzle for me was that understanding of everything's going to work if we've got oxytocin flowing freely and everything's going to turn off when you let adrenaline and cortisol and stress kind of be the the main hormones yeah and when did that shift happen for you? Was it obviously once you had a successful pregnancy and you were able to think that far ahead? Very definitely, Sky. When we were going through the IVF process, I never even thought about birth because yeah. I guess the self-preservation aspect is don't let yourself think that this could actually work. Yeah. And then I got pregnant and I almost went, oh, far out I've got to have this baby now (laughs) I guess I'd better get educated (laughs) and um yeah it was podcasts I mean I don't know how people how people did anything without podcasts (laughs) I get so much education from them I love them and yeah it was that I guess introduction to the concept of the cascade of interventions because at first you think We're told birth is painful. That's okay. I can have an epidural. Mm. And then I guess very immediately, because I'm lucky that I've got that kind of medical understanding, but again, there's so many brilliant podcasts out there that walk you through it in really clear terms. I very quickly realized, well, epidural equals lay on your back, equals reduced pelvic diameter, equals longer labor, possible episiotomy, longer recovery, sleepy baby, maybe bad latching, nipple pain, 
breastfeeding challenges and I more or less learned that and I went, okay, I'm not prepared to have an epidural if I can possibly help it. So therefore, what do I need to do to give myself the best chance of a physiological birth? And obviously, there's things like emergency cesareans that are out of your control. But for me, it was, okay, if the goal's a physiological birth, what can I take responsibility for to give myself the best chance of that and sort of give this this baby the very best start to life? So besides podcasts, was there any other resources that you found really helpful? Lots and lots of podcasts. And Sean and I did a hypnobirthing course in person mm-hmm. at, it was probably about 24 weeks. So that was awesome. Absolutely brilliant. And it's so funny. I kind of wish they didn't call it hypnobirthing because I think a lot of the partners go, oh, what woo-woo am I being dragged along to? So true. But I sort of said to Sean, I was like, if it makes you feel better, think of it as like neural pathway modification (laughs) because that's what it is. Like it's retraining your brain to go from a place of I can't do this to a place of hell yes, I can do this. I'm built for this. And it was so awesome seeing Sean go from a place of apprehension to a place of excitement because the hypnobirthing courses actually put a lot of effort and energy into empowering the partners. They they sort of say, okay, mamas to be, you've kind of got the easy job because you just need to go into your zone and get in touch with your primitive self and not think and partners you've got to do all the hard work because <laughs> you've got to be the neocortex and you have to be this amazing support person so I think I got off lightly to be honest <laughs> I think Sean had the harder job and how was your pregnancy oh could have been worse okay <laughs> <laughs> could, it, could have been much better I I didn't have the dream second trimester that I was hoping for. I I was pretty zero out of five. Do not recommend this experience until about week 22, maybe. And then I had the most awesome third trimester. Loved the third trimester. So, yeah, the first two sucked. Just nausea? Yeah, nausea. Yeah, nausea and intense fatigue. I think have I had I not experienced it, you never would have been able to convince me it was possible to feel that profoundly, I guess, just depleted. Mm. And it makes sense, right? This little bub is taking everything they need and screw you, mum. I'll, yeah, <laughs> I'll take what I need. But, yeah, I, um, I was super fortunate that I managed to keep going to the gym more or less throughout well I didn't stop until 41 weeks pregnant and don't get me wrong I was plodding along and doing very very little except using it as an opportunity to get out of the house yeah but it certainly could have been worse so yeah grateful that at least I got one trimester that I absolutely loved (laughs) so what model of care did you end up choosing yeah so I 
I guess being a bit of a nerd stood me in good sort of stead for this journey because immediately on getting pregnant and going, oh, my goodness, this is actually happening, this baby will need to come out one way or another. And I went and I turned to podcasts and I learned about that cascade of interventions. And because it was an IVF pregnancy, you, of course, know very early, like three weeks kind of thing, uh, crazy, crazy early. So I immediately applied for the birth centre in Brisbane at the Royal because the other thing that I came across when I was researching and learning was that the single biggest factor to a positive maternal outcome, like if you sort of went, okay, across most models of care, outcomes with babies are are really, really good. But there's a big difference between maternal satisfaction going through the private system with an OB versus an unknown midwife versus having continuity of care. Mm. And so I sort of went, okay, if I'm going to give myself the best chance, I need continuity of care. So I applied for the birth centre and I was incredibly fortunate to find out really, really early. So I got into the birth centre, I think at about or 11 or 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. And that just was like a weight had lifted off me because all of a sudden I knew that my values were going to be aligned and it wasn't going to be a fight to have that, hopefully, intervention-free physiological birth. And do you get just the one midwife or do you have multiples? It's a team of three, which is, okay. is great. So you absolutely are guaranteed that you know the midwife that you'll be birthing with. Nice. And you have multiple appointments with each of them throughout your antenatal care. And oh, I just felt so safe. Like these midwives just were so relaxed and fielded all of my millions of questions with grace and also just with ease and they were so confident Mm. that even as a first-time mom even as an older mom even with an IVF pregnancy they just there was never any doubt that birth wasn't going to just go the way it's meant to go so that was really cool yeah awesome yeah they were just amazing and then the appointments got more and more sort of frequent as I got towards the end of the pregnancy and like almost all first-time mums I went late if you count 40 weeks of course it'd be nice if we counted normal as 42 but anyway um, so it started to get a bit stressful because I'd been having false labour or prodromal labour so like proper contractions not just Braxton Hicks from maybe 38 or 39 weeks and it was just the worst because you sort of go to sleep get woken up by contractions think yay it's happening and then it would just fizzle out and then I'd wake up the next morning still pregnant and be like oh man not again so I sort of knew things were ramping up and happening but it was difficult to stay positive post that 40 weeks especially with the threat of induction looming in the system 
and I guess that's where as much as I had the most fabulous birth imaginable if I knew then what I know now I would have felt very very comfortable with home birth and a private midwife and maybe just taking some of that pressure off of if you don't meet our protocols ABC will happen and they were wonderful they were at pains to remind me that my body my baby my birth I could continue to decline things but obviously there was the sort of unspoken look when you get to about 41 plus six we'll have to have a conversation Mm -hmm. but Thankfully, Zeke didn't make me wait quite that long. Should we jump now to the moment that you realised it was starting to progress into actual labour? Yeah, so it was a good two and a half, three weeks. So mentally it was really tough. Mm. And again, this is where the hypnobirthing came through for us. So Sean was brilliant and he sort of kind of suggested to me, he's like, remember... Our, our lovely hypnobirthing practitioner, Esther, had said, we can reach out to her. You can have a chat if you're feeling a bit uncertain or if you've lost a bit of confidence. So we had a call with her. There was also some tracks on letting go, positive inductions. And I guess it was trying to come to terms with the fact that I can control my response and I can control how I feel and act and behave, even if I can't control whether I went into spontaneous labor or was pushed into a medical induction. Mm. And I, I'm sure this is the same for a lot of women, but it was almost when I finally surrendered and went, okay, so be it. If I have to have an induction, it'll be the best frigging induction imaginable. And so we had a beautiful evening out. We went for a big walk, had a meal, watched a rom-com. I really just stopped doing all the moxibustion, stopped doing all the acupressure, stopped doing the curb walking, stopped doing all the things and just went, oh, whatever. Like what I'll let what will be will be. And that night was the night that the prodromal labour kept going. So, yeah, that was 41 plus 2. Amazing. And at what point did you realise, okay, this is it, it's for real this time? I think intuitively I did realise it was a bit different because it was the first night that I timed the contractions or the surges. And they were quite variable between... 10 to 20 minutes apart and I could doze between them but they started at about 11 o'clock on that Thursday night like every other night but they kept going and then at 5 46 in the morning at the height of a contraction my waters broke and I went woohoo we're on (laughs) and then sort of rushed to the bathroom to pop a pad in because we were told by the midwife, like, if it is your waters, that will fill a pad. And then nothing more came. So a little seed of doubt snuck in. But we had an appointment at the birth centre that morning anyway at 8am. So 
I woke Sean up and said, look, let's pretty sure I'm in early labor, but my body's been doing some funny things. Let's go for the appointment and just see what happens. Like I trust these midwives so completely. Let's get their opinion. And so we got in the car at about 7 a.m., stopped for a coffee, which I look back at and giggle because I was definitely <laughs> in labor. I love it. And, um, yeah, parked, parked at the dog park, which is a 15-minute walk from the hospital, which is what we always did so that we sort of didn't have to pay for parking. <laughs> it took a little bit longer on that day to walk there. And got to the reception of the birth centre and my one of my just, yeah, my lovely, lovely midwife of my team of three saw me and she said, oh, this is awesome, Emma. You look really uncomfortable. It's the first time I haven't seen you smile. <laughs> so she was happy. She, she knew there'd be a baby that day. And then I got escorted from reception down to the end of the corridor because I think I was probably a little bit confronting for any other expectant mums. <laughs> so um, I was able to breathe through the surges. There was sort of no vocalising, but I, I couldn't sit down. Like I was yeah, definitely in labour and had my checkup with, with the midwife. Um, she did Doppler, palpation. She did pop a CTG on me because that is hospital protocol with... Um, release of your membranes and everything looked good and she said to me go home do your thing I did know that there was the possibility that I was sort of on the clock so to speak but again my midwives were so wonderful she just said don't even think about that I know that you'd say no to antibiotics anyway and it's not going to be a problem like you're going to have your baby today so just at every step of the way, there was just such alignment and support. So that was was beautiful. And you walked back to the car? <laughs> I did, very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was the whole staying active in labour thing. Yeah, true. But, yeah, the, the car trip back was definitely not enjoyable. Mm. And so we got home at 10 o'clock. And Sean, bless him, was running around the house, turning off the lights, closing the curtains, putting on little candles, doing all the things I'd asked for. Because I guess you always think you're going to go into labour at night. Mm. But then, yeah, it was bright, sunny Brisbane day. And I was so sure I was going to be active and walking around. But all I wanted to do was just lie on my side on our bed and... I had the TENS machine on, which was the greatest thing in the world, um, pushing that boost button for every surge. And at 11 o'clock, so we'd only been home for an hour, and I said to Sean, call the hospital. Like, this is, I've got the urge to push. I'm not pushing, but I've got the urge to push. And we rang the the hospital back and it was a different midwife who I'd seen in the morning because one midwife does the kind of consults or appointments for the day and the other one of the others is on for the the birthing mothers and so we got through to that midwife and I 
am on speakerphone and I can sort of hear her tone of voice as, oh, yeah, first time mum, like, stay at home, you'll be fine, <laughs> toughen up <laughs> in the nicest possible way. And and so sort of like, okay, cool, cool, we'll give you a call back in a couple of hours. And then half an hour later I said to Sean, we've got to go. And it probably wasn't quite that polite. I think it was more like, we are going now. Get the car. (laughs) (laughs) So at that point I started making noise. And, I mean, as you will know, like, it's out of body. You just so primitive. And so um, there was a bit of a, a flurry, I guess, even though, your your support partner thinks that they're ready that moment actually you're like oh shit this is happening (laughs) we've got to get things organized so there was a bit of faffing about but we had a really devious little plan of Sean's mum who is an awesome awesome human being she is a friend as well as family and she's also a nurse and had four home births of her own so like the most awesome feminine energy. And so um, Sean and I had asked her to be part of the birth because I knew she would be the right energy for me to have there. She would have total faith in my ability and also that she would be able to really support Sean and sort of remind him, like, this is this is normal. This is positive pain. It's pain with a purpose if, like, if he was struggling at all. So she drove us into the hospital, which was great because it meant that we didn't have to worry about parking. And I'm walking through reception with my eye mask on and my headphones playing hypnobirthing and my <laughs> TENS machine on and making these terrifying noises. So it would have been a sight to be seen. And that was 12.45 when we arrived at the hospital and got taken straight up to the birth center and Sean had been awesome he'd said oh can we have the the bath Emma would really like a water bath and so I got there and the bath's already full and they did their checks did a palpation did a Doppler that sort of thing and said do you want to jump in the tub and I was still with it enough to think I don't know if I want to get in the bath because you're not meant to get in the bath until you're far along and I'm a first timer what if I've got 18 hours left like there was still that seed of doubt. But by that point, as much as the TENS machine was amazing, there was also the thought of, oh, this is pretty full on. Like if, if it gets any more full on, the TENS machine's not going to cut it. So got in the bath at 1 o'clock and it was just bliss. Just, oh, so amazing. And when I read through my um, birth report, because my midwife did a really awesome sort of debrief with me afterwards, it took my contractions from four and 10 minutes to three and 10 minutes. So it did slow things down a bit, but obviously we were kind of far enough along that they were happy for me to do that. And then I guess, again, like you would know, time just loses all meaning you don't know if you've been there for 10 minutes or 10 hours I just was listening to Sean read me affirmations from the hypnobirthing course we had music on in the background and it was it was just perfect like it was zen it was beautiful 
just every time I would have a surge, Sean would remind me, sort of relax your jaw, and that was really, really helpful for me. And at 1.55, and I know this because we've actually got it on video, so at 1.55 I transitioned, and I just felt my eyes spring open, and it was like I came back down to earth, and I looked around, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, oh, this this poop in the bath, how embarrassing. And it's so crazy that that was what I focused on. And I sort of looked around, and I think I might have said something, and then next second just went back into that zone. And I was still with it enough to go, that was transition. And I thought to myself in that moment, because you know how they say transitions often when you think you can't do it. And I sort of asked myself, I was like, can I do it? I was like, yeah, I can do it. Like, I am doing it. And that was one of those hypnobirthing affirmations. And within a few minutes, so I could feel the baby moving through my pelvis, like he'd, he'd moved down from my abdomen. And it was that, crazy feeling of if I pushed really hard now he would be out but at the same time I knew don't push let your body do it he's stretching you this is what's meant to be happening just let it happen don't fight it don't push don't push don't push and the midwives and everybody I found out later was just completely and totally oblivious to this like I I sort of knew he was right there and at 2.15 they came to do the Doppler and I'm sort of swatting them away because I can feel him crowning like he is right there and I'm trying to kind of get them to bugger up and of course you can't talk you're so in the zone and I made the little sign with like my thumb and index finger like a tiny bit as in trying to say like he's this close He's only like a a centimetre away. And they thought I wanted the water a tiny bit warmer. (laughs) So so my lovely student midwife's like, I'll get the water a tiny bit warmer. And then she goes, oh, oh, there's the head. So they then figured out that things were a bit further along. And my main midwife was gorgeous. I remember hearing her say, oh, well, you're a silent achiever, aren't you? And, of course, I'm thinking I was very much not silent. But then they kind of got me to shimmy around in the bath a bit so that they could get a look. And then, so what was that on the, so that was 2.24 p.m. on the report was, like, that they, they could see the baby. So they popped the mirror and the torch into the water. And next thing in my very zen, lovely hypnobirthing room, I hear, that's not a head, that's a bum. Oh, wow. So at <laughs> that moment, it changed very quickly from this beautiful, zen, relaxed environment to total chaos. Do you remember how you felt or any of your inner dialogue in that moment? I was so, so confident in my body and my baby that honestly sky i just went well okay Mm. like it just there was never 
a second's doubt that birth was just going to be fine because I guess I was doing it and also oh hello little man we've just opened our eyes and also I guess I was kind of very comfortable that if he was breached he was breached for a reason yeah but my midwife again absolute rock star so she just says to me okay Emma I'm going to hit the emergency button and everything is going to get really, really crazy. But just listen to my voice. Don't worry. Just listen to my voice. Like, ignore the buzzers. Just listen to my voice. And so she said, okay, you've got to get out of the bath. And I didn't really understand why because I was just like, but the bath is awesome. I love the bath. (laughs) But anyway, I very awkwardly waddled out of the bath and on the the video that my mother-in-law took you can just see this room's just full of of 20 odd people by this point and my incredible midwife put herself between them and me and she just said ignore the memo you can do this like you've got this you know you've got this and so she said, next contraction, don't make any noise. You just have to push everything through your bum like you're doing the world's biggest poo. And um, he'd actually already, well, I think they call it rumping, not crowning. But he'd actually come out a long way already just with my body doing everything. Like if you ask me, oh, when did you start pushing? I'd say to you, I never pushed until that last one. Like my body just did it. It was so magic. Um, So he had already come out a long way and then I did sort of the one, I guess, um, a coached push and his legs and his body came out. So we've got the most spectacular photo of this baby dangling. And then she said, okay, next contraction, one more push and I'll be out. But the crazy thing, Sky, is my contractions just stopped dead. And again, like my midwife, I just cannot speak highly enough of her. She she knew what had happened and she said to me, I know you don't want to have to do this, but you just have to push anyway. And so there was sort of one big push that had no contraction um, and he was out. And being breech and because my midwife was such a frigging rock star, there was, um, what, seven minutes between rumping or <laughs> crowding and him being born. And so he did need to be given a little bit of oxygen and like a bit of a zhuzh up with the towel. He started breathing very, very, very quickly, didn't require tubes or ventilating or anything like that. Like he was such a good little boy. But... Yeah, there there was definitely a whisking him off to to have a little bit of help. But it was just the most incredible, incredible experience. And I think, yeah, crazy how the second they're born, again, that the hormones just, they just do their job. Like I was just back in, back on the planet and so aware of Zeke and like they kind of took me over to the bed to check me out because there'd been a little bit of hemorrhage because I'd had to 
forcefully push his head out rather than wait for a contraction. Was it more painful when the head came out? Because obviously when it's the other way around, you know, the baby's head stretches you first and then the body comes. Did you feel it was harder? Well, and they they do say that that's one of the risks of breach is if they don't stretch you enough with their bum and their hips, that the head can potentially get stuck. And so that's one of the justifications for all breaches should be a cesarean. But because he was a, a frank breach, so he was completely sort of folded in half, there was, yeah, there was no worries. And, I mean, being a first-timer, I don't have anything to compare it to. But certainly I look at the photos and I'm kind of like, don't know that he could have stretched me much more. <laughs> so true. Um, yeah, and and I was I had an intact perineum, so I did have a labial tear just from that last kind of yeah forced push. But it, yeah, it was it was amazing. I just sort of am in awe of of what the female body can do. And yeah, so Sean went with him, and Sean's mum came over with me, and they sort of the OBs rushed over to me to check things and figure out whether there was any active bleeding or whether it was um, just sort of normal amounts. And then Sean went with Zeke. And it was about 15 minutes, Sean tells me. didn't feel like that long. But, again, the crazy thing is just how immediately I sort of went into, like, mama bear mode. I was just – it was all eyes on him, and I, I remember yelling at them. Skin to skin, get him on Sean. <laughs> I was, yeah, because I could see he was pink and breathing and I could hear him and, yeah, it was it was crazy. I was just like, skin to skin, now. <laughs> Go, mama. Um, so, yeah, about 15 minutes and then he got brought over and popped on my chest, which was, as you all know, just, oh, it's insane. Like, yeah. But it's also just that oh my goodness moment like wow that just happened and I mean you feel you feel like a total rock star Mm. you sort of like my body is amazing I was so proud of my body I was so proud of my baby I was like you clever little thing yeah you you needed to come out upside down like go you So yeah, it was it was wild. We got our we got our beautiful Zen hypnobirthing water birth experience, and also got a little bit of a twist. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to quickly clarify because obviously it wasn't an emergency situation. It sounds like it was going more than perfectly, but your midwife would have been obligated to follow certain policies and procedures for a breach presentation, correct? Exactly. Yeah. yeah so exactly. she's basically bound to do that, but then she's done her best to protect you correct. from any, you know, unnecessary interventions. Yes. And, and again, I just think to myself, had I not gone with that continuity of care model, had I not had a known midwife and that relationship and those aligned values, I would have been on the bed, given an episiotomy with no yeah. epidural on board and had a, a vacuum or a forcep delivery, like just without a doubt. Yeah. Because that's what happens with 
with vaginal breaches if they happen in the hospital system. And I know that there are higher risks with a breach than a head down, but I also know that breach is a variation of normal. And if your baby's breached, they breach for a reason. Mm. And when you look at the studies, those higher risks are very, 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 very small. Mm. And I just find it so sad that if you have a breech baby, you're either, I hesitate to use the word bullied, but I think it's probably the right word. Mm. You're sort of bullied into having a cesarean because imagine like the guilt, the, the words that would be used would, oh, well, are you prepared to risk your baby just for a vaginal birth? Yeah, medical gaslighting. <sighs> yeah. And then the other option, of course, is, I mean, no one's going to be able to get a home birth registered midwife at like late, late, late pregnancy if you kind of don't find out until that third trimester ultrasound. And so then you're left with, well, what do I do? Do I free birth? And, of course, that, again, would be really, really difficult when you've got a seed of doubt planted in your mind. Mm. And so I find it really sad that, yeah, the sort of, I guess, even though breach is a variation of normal, having a vaginal breach birth is not well supported. Yeah. Yeah, and also OPs now just simply don't have the training or the knowledge to support a physiological breech birth. Not that they really need it because, you know, mama and baby know exactly what they're doing. But when the only way you've been taught how to manage it is interventions and surgeries, then, of course, they're going to fear anything other than that process, right? Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think midwives tend to be quite comfortable with it especially if like my midwife team there's there's a fair few decades of experience Mm. but yes that's my understanding is there's a breach clinic in New South Wales I think at Randwick Hospital and I believe and certainly what my midwife sort of said to me is yeah in Queensland it's just it's not on offer um, she said that they probably get one vaginal breach a year and it tends to be like Zeke, a bit of a surprise. That's a bomb. Wow, isn't that wild? And so did you so, go over everything with your midwife? Um, it was incredible because, again, when she and I went through the birth report, is two very different narratives. So what the midwife writes up is sort of very much like Emma doing well, um contractions are are strong and then yeah head on view nope not head bum and then okay out of bath one foot up on side of bath breach advancing like all okay and then you see what the obstetrician writes and it is offered assistance midwife declines offered assistance again midwife declines again insisted on offering assistance midwife declines again wow and just the the trust in the birthing process that my midwife showed and she just had total faith in me. Mm. And I think to myself, how brave, how ballsy. Mm. Like she literally went, nope, we've got this. Like stand, stand back, please, obstetricians. I appreciate <laughs> that you're here, but we're good. We don't need you right now. Yeah, I love that. So what about your placenta? Anything special? That is probably 
the the only kind of regret that I have is that in the chaos, I didn't actually get to see my placenta. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sad about that. But at the end of the day, um, it gave me my beautiful baby boy and, and it gave him life. So it served us well. I was very open to things like encapsulation if I could find data to, to support it, and I just couldn't. So um, I kind of have have nothing to compare my postpartum to, as in would it have been better had I done anything, but I've had a pretty awesome recovery. So, yeah. Um, Is this you guys complete now as a family, do you think? or? I feel very, very complete, mm-hmm. um, and and I guess it's the whole never say never, <laughs> and it will be interesting to see how much this journey sort of changes me. But right now, I just look at him and I just sort of go, oh, I just I don't want you to have to share me. Yeah. Like I want, <laughs> I want you to have all of our love and attention and. And, yeah, sort of have all the adventures. But, yeah, never say never. But at this point, it feels it feels pretty pretty awesome. Amazing. If you were to go back for a second baby, would there be anything you would do differently with that birth? I absolutely loved the birth centre and the midwives were just amazing. But I think I'd have a home birth. Yeah. Um, and I think just... Despite how incredibly passionate the midwives are and how much faith they have in birth, they are still bound by more hospital protocols than than maybe you are with a home birth. And, And, of course, had his birth happened at home, it would have been absolutely fine. Um, So... Everything that sort of he needed could have been provided by home birth midwives. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do know that, yes, things go go wrong, but it's incredibly, incredibly rare that kind of that, that, that true emergency happens. And I think also just having that, yeah, faith in my body and also if it, if there was another breach I'd go okay well it's like that for a reason and we we can do this been there done that <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> so on reflection of your entire journey what would be your key piece of advice for any expectant mothers out there so having a think about this I mean one of the real cheesy kind of quotes but I think it's very very apt is this whole knowledge is power but only if you act on it so it's one thing to say oh i know that inductions lead to interventions but then you actually have to i guess take action to be in a mental headspace to say no to that and i mean going past that 40 weeks was mentally harder than i thought it would be like that was was quite challenging and and things like knowing okay the best outcomes are with continuity of care so that means you don't just wing it you don't just 
go. I'll just get to the hospital and have whichever midwife on the day. Mm. And I, I fully appreciate that the birth centre only takes a very small number of women and I was lucky beyond belief to get a place. But had I not got a place, it would have been, okay, let's get a private midwife. Or if financially that's not possible, a doula, a student midwife, like someone who can really advocate for you and and who knows you. And I think just, yeah, taking, taking responsibility for your birth, that was something that, Anna, the midwife, said on one of your recent episodes, and that really resonated with me. And I wish we didn't have to as women. I wish the system treated a birthing woman like a a goddess, just went, this is so awesome. Women are amazing and strong and powerful and, and we'll just let you do what you're meant to do. But it doesn't. It medicalizes birth and and it I guess I understand that. You need to roster nurses and midwives and doctors, you need to figure out beds. And so it's easier in a lot of ways if you do medicalize birth because you have a bit more control. So I hate that you have to take responsibility for your birth. But you really, really do. Yeah. Like if you want that positive experience be it a vaginal birth or a cesarean or an induction because you can have positive experiences with all of those I've got some friends who have had the most beautifully positive cesareans because they have made sure that they've taken the power into their own hands as much as possible and been able to respond to whatever's thrown at them in a positive way and, yeah, for me, I think the hypnobirthing stuff was was amazing because when when things did literally get turned upside down, uh, I, I just never doubted that he was going to be born and my body was going to do the right thing and and that it was going to work. And probably remaining relaxed is why it actually did work. So, yeah, it would be amazing to be in a system where I guess birth was, was a bit less feared and a bit more celebrated and and hopefully hearing all these positive stories is the first step. I mean, in my, my mother's group, there's 10 women and, and out of those 10 women, um, it was quite hard because I almost felt guilty because I was the only one that sort of could say, my birth was awesome. Wow. The the rest had had elements of of trauma or regret or negativity. And yeah, I think what you're doing is super important because birth can be absolutely epic mm. and and positive and amazing. Absolutely. Well, what an extraordinary journey you've had, Emma. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to. 
That brings us to the end of today's episode. Through Emma's story, we have witnessed the innate wisdom of birth and that breach in most cases is just a variation of normal and not an emergency situation. Remember that birth can often surprise us and in such moments, it becomes crucial to have unwavering trust in your own path. Seek out medical providers who prioritize undisturbed physiological birth and equip yourselves with knowledge so that you too can navigate unexpected situations with complete confidence. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for being a valued listener and don't forget to leave a review to help us spread the message that birth is beautiful. I'll see you all next week for another episode of Positive Birth Australia.